Now please to take your copy of God's Word. And let's turn together to Matthew chapter 3. Now this morning we'll be considering verses 1 through 4 of the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Let's hear now, as an act of worship, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And I'll read verses 1 through 10. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now... The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Please pray with me. Father, bless us, we pray now. Strengthen us according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question that comes to us as we consider... Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 is very, very simple. We're going to consider Matthew's sermon, his sermon to those who had gathered around him in the wilderness of Judea. And I think the question that comes to us is a very simple one. And that is this. Who or what rules your life? We considered that in the beginning of the sermon uh, from John Owen that our duty is to re-enthrone the person and the spirit and the grace and the work and the authority of Christ upon the hearts of men. And John would do the same thing, asking us, who is ruling your life? There was an incident recently in my, my own home in which uh, one of my children responded to the other in a sinful way. And so I asked the question, when you responded in that way, um, to your sibling, why did you do that? And the answer came back, well, I had to. You should have seen the look on her face. She smiled at me so cunningly. And I said to my child, do you see that when you did that, you became her slave? No one compelled you but you. And if you do not learn that lesson, that no man can compel you to do anything except you yourself, that you will always, throughout the rest of your life, go on presenting yourself as a slave. You will obey someone. Either it's going to be the impulses of your flesh, 
candy, I need candy, candy, candy for children. Or you will obey Christ. So, who, who is ruling your life? Who are you obeying? And as we sit here gathered this morning, most of us are going to be compelled, well, I obey Christ. But there's a follow-up question to that, isn't there? It is, how, how do you know? How, how could you produce the evidence that you are obeying Christ? That you're living according to the commandments of Christ? What, what we see from this passage of Scripture, the main point, as it were, is that John the, John the Baptist, in his declaration, John the Baptist declared the arrival of the King and announced that repentance identifies you as a citizen of his kingdom. John the Baptist declared the arrival of the king and he announced that repentance identifies you as a citizen of his kingdom. Now, put yourself in the circumstance here. As the light begins to dawn in Israel, we ought to recognize that for 400 years... No one has been ordained or authorized to walk through the streets of Israel and to declare a message in the name of Yahweh. There's been no, no prophet. There's been silence. No revelation. No man of God to come forward and declare the will of God. But here, with, with no introduction, a man appeared in the wilderness in Matthew's Gospel, with no origin, no place of birth, no narrative about who his mother or father were, in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, he just appeared in the wilderness. John, in his eloquent language, describes it this way, there came forth a man sent from God. As you reflect on the history of redemption, you might apply this to many men. Joshua took over for Moses and he led Israel into a period of conquest. You think of Samuel, don't you? When he led Israel from a period in which there was tribal rule into a period of a monarchy. And then as the kingdom began to wane, as it began to slip and slide into sinfulness and into idolatry, God gave them prophets. Prophets stepped in. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel, and all the rest stepped in to call the people back to repentance, to call them to faithfulness. But gradually, the light became dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until finally the message became quiet. Suddenly, suddenly, a light appeared. Suddenly, God sent a man, John the Baptist, into that circumstance 
to break the silence, to break the ice, as it were, and to begin to declare the message of God again. He sends again a new prophet in the likeness of Isaiah and Jeremiah before him to announce the beginning of a new phase. And so we notice, first of all then, that John the Baptist came to declare the arrival of the king. He's here. We notice in the text, as we think about the, John's declaration of the king's arrival, uh, in verse 1 we see the time of the king's arrival. In those days, John the Baptist came. Well, something immediately occurs to you, doesn't it? You think, wait a second now. From my other reading, I know that John's only roughly six months older than Jesus. We just concluded the last passage when Jesus was somewhere maybe around a couple of months old. So are we saying that John's a toddler? Well, obviously not. Uh, Matthew is silent on roughly 30 years of the life of Christ. But here suddenly, suddenly with no warning, this man comes in those days. Well, in what days are they? Now, not a reference to the exact time frame that had come before. What's happening here is likely this is a reference to the setting. Into this setting. In the same days that this um, descendants of Herod were sitting on the throne where there's still political hostility against the, Jew, the Jews. It's into that time frame in which John the Baptist steps forth. Also, Jesus himself is still laboring in obscurity in Nazareth. No one has learned of him yet. This is the time into which John steps. But we see not only the time of John's arrival, the time when he begins to declare this message, we also see the manner of his arrival. He came in what way? Preaching and declaring. And you note this, that men of God always come preaching the Word of God. Think about the apostles. They're going to pick up this refrain. They always come preaching the message of God. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How did Paul go to Corinth? Preaching the Word of God. Well, it's no different for John. He didn't come. He did not come. As a life coach, he did not come as a social justice warrior. He came as a man of God with a simple task to preach the word of God. I want you to notice when, when he comes forth preaching, do you notice where he is? Verse 1, the wilderness of Judea. Now think about that for just a second. Does that seem odd to you? If you've got a very important message, are you going to go out here in the woods and declare it? No. Most likely you're going to find a very populated street corner to stand on and to declare that message. So immediately the antenna go up, don't they? Why is John in the wilderness? Well, there's a very important reason, a specific reason for that location. It's, listen, it is important because John came as a herald of the king. 
And as we understand the location and his message, we recognize a subtle message that suddenly becomes very strong. What's happening here is that John is being linked back to a prophecy of Isaiah. He's being sent to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his paths straight. And the wilderness location becomes very important to that declaration. But I want you to notice something first before we think about the wilderness. Notice what John says in verse 3. He comes preaching in verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 3, For this, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. The location is very important. And what is he crying out? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So when we think of this, notice that what John is declaring or the the message of the messenger in verse 3 is this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. These are not commands to John. John is not being commanded to make the Lord's paths straight. These are commands to you. The command, if you read the old King James Version, what you'll find is that these are second person plural. In other words, we ought to translate them, y'all prepare the way of the Lord. John is looking out upon the people gathered around him and he's he's saying to them, y'all make his path straight. And so me, as somebody who hears this message, I say, well, I, I... I'm concerned about that. How do, I, how do I do that? How do I make his path straight? I, I think we're helped there in understanding from Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 10. In Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 10, Paul and Barnabas had been sent to preach the message of the gospel amongst the Gentiles. And they came to a certain region where the governor of the region uh, was a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. And he said, I want you to come and preach the message of the gospel to me. I want to hear your message. So they went. But there was a man named Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus was an opponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with all his might, he sought to subvert them, to keep the governor from hearing their message. And Paul looked at Bar-Jesus and he said to Bar-Jesus, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not, not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? You see, Bar-Jesus is perverting the straight paths of Christ by subverting the gospel. So what John is doing is he's looking out upon these people and he's looking at you and he is saying, listen to the one who comes behind me. Don't oppose him. Do not resist him. Listen to him. Do what he says. If you fail to listen to Christ, 
you are perverting the paths of the king. Turn with me now to Isaiah 40. Because we, we think about this question then, well, John's preparing a path. He's preparing the path for the one who comes after him. Who is that one? Who is the one who comes after? John's message comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for whom? For our God. John is coming, not preparing the way for any earthly God. Not for any earthly king. Not for a man. Isaiah 40 makes clear that John's appearance is declaring the work of God Almighty. That, listen, the one who follows behind him is himself Yahweh. He is the one who comes in the wilderness to rescue his people. You think about that setting now, that setting of John preaching in the wilderness. Why is that so important? Because the work of deliverance is that God will gather his people to himself in the wilderness and he will take their wilderness and turn it into Eden. There will be streams in the desert flowing to them. He will comfort them again. Notice Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. What is the message? Comfort. Comfort my people says your God. This act of prophecy is not only demonstrated in John's message that he's calling people to submit to the coming one, to God himself, as you turn back to Matthew chapter 3. But it's also demonstrated in the way that he dressed. Notice in verse 4, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. John, John dressed awkwardly, we might say. But the specific reason that he dressed this way is, yes, he was poor. He ate, he ate the diet of somebody who was poor in his day. But John's dress identified him with a certain prophet who had come before him. We find in 2 Kings chapter 1 that Elijah himself wore a leather belt and camel hair. And the reason that we have this reference to 2 Kings chapter 1 is because Israel found itself in 2 Kings chapter 1 in a destitute place. You see, the king at that time was seeking counsel. And he was sending his counselors to another kingdom to inquire of the god Baal Zebub. Elijah caught them on the way dressed in camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he said this, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? John the Baptist has appeared in the likeness of Elijah 
calling the people back, saying, you have worshipped these false gods. It is time to return to the one true God. He Himself has come down to you in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who follows Me, the one who will learn is, I'm unworthy even to untie the strap of His sandal. This one is no earthly king. He is the incarnate God come to turn the wilderness into Eden. Worship Him. John comes, therefore, as a prophet in the likeness of Elijah and the likeness of Isaiah. He is the promised one who is signaling that the times are changing. That the promises of God that have held out here for so long, that have dangled, as it were, before you, are now being fulfilled. And it is time for you, it is time for you to consider the time and make the right response. To welcome the king. To receive him rightly. And so we're confronted with another question. How do I do that? Secondly, we see that John the Baptist then announced the means of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. You know, John's message was very simple, wasn't it? Not elaborate. A very simple message. Notice what it is in verse 2. Matthew sums it up this way. John came preaching and exhorting, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, on the first place, we remember that John's, John's preaching is, is not necessarily a model for Christian ministry. I remember sitting at my office chair one afternoon, eight, eight floors up in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. And I started to hear some sort of shouting. And I was curious about what that shouting was. And so I walked over to my window and there down below me I saw a young man with a backpack on his back and a bullhorn in his hand marching back and forth in the town square saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand! Every Christian minister must preach repentance. Perhaps not through a bullhorn. What, John is, what Matthew is doing here is he's summing up the totality of John's message. This, in other words, is how he's going before Christ and he's teaching people now to prepare the way of the Lord. How do I do that? How do I do that? It is by repenting. What is Repentance. What does it mean to repent? I, I want to repent. I want to prepare the way of God Almighty coming behind. How do I do that? And remember first and foremost is that the idea of repentance, it doesn't refer to a feeling. It doesn't refer to an emotion. It is not brokenness. We're not taught in Scripture that brokenness is an evangelical grace. Repentance is. And first and foremost then, repentance is a change of mind. Now, some people go uh, 
take that way too far and they say, well, as long as we can get people to change their mind about Christ, we've enabled them to repent. But that's too shallow. What happens when you repent is there is a complete and utter transformation of the way that you think. It is a renewal of your mind. You see, by nature, you use the power of your mind to hate God. By nature, you use the power of your mind to devise reasons to hate God. This is what Eve did in the garden, isn't it? The devil convinced her that God was withholding something from her, and she believed him. The work of the Spirit of God, then, is to transform your mind so that you begin to affirm the things that God affirms. You have repented when you begin to love the things that God loves. You have repented when you begin to hate the things that God hates. When you hate sin and love righteousness, you know that the work of repentance has begun in your life. It is this hatred of sin that leads you to an outward expression of repentance. So that our catechism can say, the work of the Spirit, the work of repentance is a grief over sin. God hates sin. And so I begin to grieve that I'm in sin. And we're reminded by John Owen that people who love sin don't repent of it. He has said, he who loves the fruit hates not the root. What we take away from this then is in noticing that what John is preaching in his message of repentance, I want you to understand this. That John is not referring to a once for all repentance. It is not possible for me to say, well, I did that. I can look back on my life and I notice a time where I put a, a stake in the ground. I can't look back at my life and say, I repented way back there. John uses a present tense verb. And that means the command is more accurately translated this way, as the King James puts it. Be ye repenting, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it is a continuous action. It becomes the badge of my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven when I live a life of repentance. John is declaring this message of repentance. Why? He says, because the kingdom has come. When does the kingdom of Jesus Christ come? Some of us have been trained to see that kingdom as one that is entirely future. When did John the Baptist believe the kingdom of Christ would come? John says the kingdom of God 
has come. John is declaring to the people that with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come on the earth. And that the one who follows behind is the one who exercises authority in that kingdom. Therefore, you see, John's argument is since, since the kingdom of God has come, and since you are called to be citizens of that kingdom, if you would be citizens of that kingdom, be repenting, be transformed. Taken together then, we should understand the message is this. The wait is over. The kingdom of God has come on the earth. Now it hasn't come as a political force. It has come in a person. It hasn't come with the toppling of other monarchies. It hasn't come by sword. It hasn't come by military might. It has come in the power of the Spirit of God. And that power is exerted when that Spirit conquers souls, transforms souls. And heart by heart, the kingdom of God expands from a tiny little stone, Daniel says in chapter 2, to a mountain that fills the earth. And as we move forward in Matthew's Gospel, what we will find is that Jesus will demonstrate the coming of the kingdom in what way? He has authority to cast out demons, to heal diseases. He is indeed the God-man who is ruling over His kingdom. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, the message of John is clear. Be repenting. Turn from your evil doing. Submit to the reign of Christ. If you're listening to the prophetic message of John, what must you conclude? You must conclude is that there are those who resist the coming of the King. There are those, even among us, who say, I will have no other. I am happy with my sin. I am happy the way that I am living my life, living for idols. You are perverting the paths of the King. But there are those who, in humble repentance, accept Him and who make His paths straight. Men who will not repent of sin and turn in humble confession to the gracious King declare themselves to be enemies of His kingdom. And we ought to be mindful of this for this reason. When you look at the Gospels, when you look at the Epistles, what you'll find is a few references to repentance. The one book that mentions repentance more than any other book is the book of Revelation. You may look and say, well, that was past. The king's come. The day is over. But the way that John's message applies to us today is in this way. He's coming again. 
And your work now is to prepare for His second coming by repenting, by making His path straight in that way. Brothers and sisters, do so today. Father, thank You so much that even though our repenting in this life will never be perfect, we know that even our repentance is perfected in and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never be acceptable unto You in ourselves alone. But we announce that the Spirit has worked in us and that we are members of this kingdom in and by our repentance. Make that repentance visible to ourselves and to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.